We begin our scripture reading with the report of the events that happened in the life of a woman named Elizabeth. From Luke 1, 5 through 45. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. When his time of service was completed, Zechariah returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Soon after that, Mary became pregnant. She got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now we move forward to the end of Jesus' life. As he speaks to his disciples about his impending death, he also speaks to them of the joy that ultimately will prevail. John 15, 11 and 16, 19 to 22. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus saw, what they want, saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what, what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you shall see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
this really is my favorite scripture reader and candle lighter. I know. I'm not supposed to be biased, I know. But it sure brought, I could tell it brought you joy when you lit the joy candle there, Chris. So joy to the world, we've been singing it. But today, I'll tell you what I've been asking. Do we really believe that, that, that Jesus, this child born in the manger, can bring joy into this entire world and even joy into each one of our individual lives? And this, this, this became so real to me on Friday. As I was putting the final parts of this message together, I was watching a bit of the commemoration for the Sandy Hook uh, shootings that took place. It was the six-year anniversary on Friday. And I thought about the pain of those parents who gathered after their children uh, had been slaughtered in that awful, awful event. And I began to think, could I preach this message to them? What would I say to them after the loss of their children about the joy that comes in Christ? So here we go. Uh, our Bible passages, I'm sure you noticed that as Chris was reading it, they talk about joy. And I imagine it was already pretty clear to you that when she read Jesus's words about joy that you see he spoke about joy in a bit of a different way from the way we talk about joy in our world. We, we often think about joy as being sort of a synonym for being happy. Uh, we become happy. We feel happiness when something really good happens to us or something good is given to us. But we often just call that same feeling joy. And, and I'll tell you, there is a real relationship, I think, between happiness and what the Bible means as joy. But while as I look at it, happiness seems to come and go with what happens in our circumstances, joy does not come and go. Now, you're with me here. It's not to say that joy is independent of our circumstances. It is not independent of our circumstances. Terrible things, when they happen to us, they attack our joy. And I'll tell you, when great things happen to us, it's like it, it fuels our joy. And we're going to be seeing that in our text today. So I've tried to come up with the definition. I don't know if it's the best one. You might write me a much better one. I'll put up here what I think of. So, so when Jesus talked about joy, it seems like the joy that he came to bring is an inner contentment mingled with delight. I wanted to get that in there too. There's that happiness that's in there, a contentment mingled with delight that cannot be eradicated by circumstances in this world. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that difficult, painful circumstances attack our joy. But according to Jesus, they do not take away the joy that we find when we actually give our lives to him. In fact, what he's going to be saying is that the joy that he gives actually sustains us in the midst of the trouble that is in this world, as well as it, it enlivens us whenever we realize that God has given us something that is just wonderful. So I've thought joy is an amazing reality that Jesus gives that I pray that you will experience every day of your life to some measure. Now, to see that, we're going to be turning to the story of Elizabeth in the Bible. It's Luke chapter 1. Um, I've called her the faithful woman who found joy in her Lord. Um, so, Luke chapter 1. When you read the Gospel of Luke, he's going to be telling us the story about Jesus. 
And if you look at the very beginning of it, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you will see that he says, I did a lot of research out there to make sure I got this story right. He knew a lot of people were telling stories about Jesus, and he wanted to get a good, orderly, accurate story about what had actually happened. He went out and interviewed eyewitnesses about what had taken place. And so as I envision it, uh, I envision Luke actually going to Zechariah and Elizabeth um, or to some people who were there with them in their little hilltown village and saying, what really happened there? What, what I'm saying to you is this, that when you see these two people, they were real people. They were not fake people. This is real news, not fake news. This is news to be trusted. And it also amazes me that when Luke tells us the story of Jesus, he starts with two people that most people would never have heard of, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were not in the big city. They were out in a hilly little town, probably smaller than the town I grew up with. They weren't people of renown. But you've got to just think about it. When you hear this story, you've got to put yourselves in their shoes. They were not people of renown, but they were real people. And at the very beginning, you can see it in verses 6 and 7, Luke tells us that these two people were, number one, righteous in the sight of God, two, keepers of God's commands, and three, blameless. Now, I ask, why was that important? And I think it was especially important, as he was going to tell the story of Elizabeth, because the people around her in her little hill town town there probably thought she wasn't really righteous and she wasn't really blameless because they viewed the fact that she couldn't have children, which you read about in verse 7, as being a curse from God. You can just imagine what all the gossip was about. This priest's wife of ours, she must really have a messed up life. I wonder what's wrong in her life. And Luke is saying, listen, God is in this thing. That's not who she was. And so, as I've thought about telling you her story and knowing in interest of time you wouldn't stay all day, I decided that we need to put two things about Elizabeth in juxtaposition to one another. Number one, what we've just seen in verse 6, she was righteous in the sight of God. She was obedient to the commands of God, and she was even declared blameless. And at the same time, if you get down to verse 25, she had nonetheless lived her life in disgrace. And she'd lived a long time. Because verse 7, Luke tells us she was very old. I wondered how old very old is. I wonder if he would consider me very old. I'm not sure. But I imagine you know the story. Um, once in a year, a uh, priest would go to Jerusalem and they would cast lots to determine which one of them would be able to go into the temple uh, to offer incense to God. It was a great honor. Many priests never had the opportunity to go, but for the ones who, who did, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in this case, the lot fell to Zechariah. It's interesting the way that Luke puts it, because when you read Luke 1, and I hope you will, you'll see that again and again he talks about things happening in the timing of God. God knows what he's doing. He's involved in this world. And yet he tells this story in such a way that it looks so random. So it looks like you're going to Las Vegas or something. You're casting lots to try to figure out who's going to win. But I'm telling you, this is not by chance. 
And there are things that happen in our lives that seem like they are by chance. They are not by chance because God is not a God of chance. The meetings that you have are so often divine appointments. And I'll just tell you, there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Keep your eyes open for those sorts of things. So this old priest Zechariah goes into the temple that day and the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him that he and his older wife, uh, Elizabeth, are going to have a child, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. Would you have believed it? That's what I've got to ask you. I think I told you this a few weeks ago. I showed you her picture. My grandmother on my mother's side was 51 years old when she had my mom. I knew I'd get a wow about that. Uh, You might not even believe your pastor when I tell you that. And I think some people didn't believe it when she told them that, but it, but, it, but it was true. And Elizabeth, I'm sure, was much older than my grandmother was. So also Zachariah didn't believe it, and he was struck dumb because of his disbelief. But not Elizabeth. She believes. She says, you can see in verse 25, the Lord has done this wonderful thing for me in these days. He has shown me his favor and has taken away And this phrase, my disgrace among my people. Can you feel what she had lived through? And and, and Luke tells us that after she became pregnant, she remained in seclusion for a five-month period. And nobody really knows why, but I've just tried to pull back, thinking about living in a small town like this where everybody gossips about you and everybody talks about you, feeling disgraced your whole life, and wondering, would she... She was human, right? Would she have felt envy about all those women in town who'd been able to have children and often were so far less devoted to God than she was? Was she, as sometimes we are tempted, was she tempted even to blame God, to resent God for what he had done or in her case had not done for her? Had she ever wondered, having anxiety or fear about whether her husband, Zechariah, would divorce her? Or, or take another wife, he could have, you know. She knew the story. Pastor Jeff last week, do you remember he told the story about Hannah? And her husband, Elkanah, tried to help him out, help God out, as we so often try to do, and had taken another wife who had become the bane of her life. What a, what a woman that Penina was. I mean, Elizabeth could have done what, he, what Elkanah did. He could have taken a different wife. We don't know, but what we do know is this. The Bible just tells us that Elizabeth remained faithful to God in in the midst of all of this and in spite of all of her shame and hardship. I I think that this pulling away was probably, she just, this was a sacred time in her life. She just really needed to be alone with God and to make sure her heart was right with God. She wanted to make sure that this wasn't some big deal. She wasn't going to have a Pinterest-like gender reveal as, as we you know, have on YouTube nowadays for so many. Guess what my child's going to, going to be a son. No, no, no. This God was going to make this known in his own time. And so it was just after the sixth month of her pregnancy that Elizabeth's young unmarried relative named Mary came unexpectedly and with little warning to Elizabeth's house house way out there in the hills to try to find seclusion herself because of her shame, which was a very different kind. She was pregnant too, but outside marriage. 
I love, you know, I love the Bible. Verses 39 to 45, these verses are absolutely remarkable. When I was getting ready to preach the sermon, I just sat down and I thought, okay, if I'm right about this, and Elizabeth was telling her story to Luke, uh, what did she tell him? So I wrote down what she might have told him. It's probably wrong, but this was what I thought when I, when I read it. Luke, what a commotion I felt. It was like my baby was fluttering or, or flying inside of me. It wasn't like those violent kicks that I'd had before. The Lord then started working within me. I'd read about these kinds of things happening in Scripture. I'd never experienced it in my own life. And I now know that what happened was I was being filled and moved by the Holy Spirit because I had to speak, and I had to speak in a very loud voice as I turned to Mary when she came in the room, and I said, Blessed are you among all women, Mary, and blessed is that child that you're going to bear. How blessed I am that the mother of my Lord should come to me. That's what I called Mary, Luke. I, I called her the mother of my Lord. And I told Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, that baby in my womb leaped for joy. We looked at one another in astonishment. It really was a meeting of the four, our two babies and we two women. And because of that child within her, both of us were filled with joy as we never had been before. I'll just tell you, as I think about Elizabeth, I envision her as a woman who'd be at church here this morning, no matter what is happening in her life, a, a, a woman who had lived a faithful life of obedience to God. In spite of her longing for a child, she was not going to be disobedient to God. But she did think that it would be a child given to her that might actually be the fulfillment of that joy that she was looking for. And well, that, that miraculous pregnancy that she had in her old age certainly was a wondrous thing for her. But the thing you've got to notice this, it was the child inside Mary that changed everything. It was something about that child whom she described as my Lord that somehow completed her joy. Which, of course, brings us to the third Sunday of Advent and this question that, I, that I'm asking, did Jesus really come to bring a joy right now in this world and eventually throughout eternity that can never be taken away. And that brings me to Jesus, I call the one who came to bring joy. Um, and his own words near the end of his life, looking back on his life, talking to his 12 disciples and say, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So here we are, our, our third week of Advent. Each week I've done the same thing. I've taken a few moments to ask this, this question that the church around the world is asking, did Jesus really come to fulfill the deepest longings of our human heart, and, and does he actually accomplish that? So that first week was the Hope Sunday. And when I thought about hope, I thought immediately of Eve. Because having been in paradise, she lost it all and would never get back. It looked like her future was absolutely hopeless, remember? And remember, Jesus, at the end of his life, looks back and he says, I am going to go through death to prepare a place for you. I am the way to the Father. 
that for him, through him there was always a future. Uh, last week, in just a wonderful message, Pastor Jeff took us to the story of Hannah, who was broken inside and whose relationships were broken, and asked the question, could that be healed? Could relationships be restored? Could peace become a part of her life, which is the way I think about shalom and peace. And then we turn to the end of Jesus, looking back on why he'd come. And in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So here we are this week, Elizabeth and her need for joy. And again, we come to the very end, to some of Jesus' very last words. And we find in chapter 15, verse 11, these words, I have come that my joy may be in you. And not only that, that your joy may be full. You've got to think about when he spoke these words. In this world, being fully human as well as fully divine, in this world, his joy was being assaulted. He knew that very, very soon he would be sweating drops of blood because of what was ahead of him. He would be experiencing the excruciating pain on the cross and bearing our sins upon himself. And here he is talking about about joy, my joy. Um, He knew that the disciples who were there were also going to be assaulted with difficulties as they had never had them before because they would see him arrested and eventually crucified. In John 17, he prays for them knowing it would be a hard time. And in the midst of his own struggles and the struggles of those in front of him, he still turns and he says, there is a joy that you can have in the midst of the pain that is always a part of this world, this side of heaven. Um, In fact, the way he put it in, in chapter 15, verse 11, helps us to see a bit of this. He suggested that there is a joy now that we can have, but it's not yet complete. My joy I give to you now. But there is another day coming in his next phrase. Someday your joy will be full. It will complete, be complete. So I've been thinking a lot about this, as you can tell. And I've just been asking myself, how does this play out in this world? So many here have lost loved ones, lost jobs, had broken relationships. How does this play out in our world? Uh... This, this whole section that's called the Farewell Discourse, running from John 7, 13 to 17, has meant so much to me in my walk with the Lord. And over the many years that I've gone through this, especially with regard to this matter of a joy that, that is there in, this, in spite of the difficulties, I've written down four words that have helped me. I'm going to give them to you. They all start with P, and I'll see if they can, you can take these home and they'll help you. There is a promise that gives you a perspective. It is a promise of a presence and of a people. So Jesus on joy in this trouble-filled world, a promise. I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And when that happens, no one will take your joy away from you. So I think of the story of Elizabeth. She lived in the midst of disgrace, and she held on to this promise that, that a child would be born who would be God with her, God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, written before Elizabeth. And she, she had to hold on to that in the difficult world. So now he has come. But if you read the rest of the story, Jesus would say, there's still going to be some work to be done. 
In fact, I'm going to have to do some suffering, and you will too, but someday I will come back again. So now you and I live in light of his promise that he will return, and all those things that attack our joy, lack of money, sickness, grieving, death, they'll all be gone. His promise is he's going to make everything right in this world. And I'll tell you, when you read that, someday our joy will be complete, nothing attacking it. The question that comes to you and me is, can I trust Jesus? I mean, if he makes this kind of promise, will I trust Jesus? And my repeated question to you is, do you? Do you trust that whatever you're going through today, you'll be faithful to him because he's made a promise. As for me, I've decided to believe him. And I just pray you will too. There's a promise which leads to a perspective. So he says in verse 20, you will grieve, know that, but your grief will be turned to joy. You see, because if you hold on to a promise that things will be different, that this life, even death, is not the end of things, then doesn't that change your perspective on, on tough times? Basically, we're not surprised by them. We know that, that everything we have in this world and everything that exists in this world is still in process, including you and I. We're, we're still in process too. Uh, and he's going to complete that process. How do we know that? Because he's made a promise that he will. It changes our perspective on everything. I remember when I was a university president back in Chicago, our dean of our seminary, Dr. Teet Tianu, would often, whenever we would have these really, really hard things happen, he could tell I was distressed by it, he would turn to me with the same old message, and he would say, why are you surprised, Greg? This is the way we are. This is the way our world now is. But it will not always be this way. So let's just be faithful and trust God. And he was right. And just like Elizabeth did in her sorrow, I want us, whatever happens in our church or in our world, let's be faithful and trust God. Because biblical joy looks forward in the midst of the trouble, forward to a day in which all of that will be changed. And that's why even when he was talking about death, he was talking with a group of Christians in a church where a lot of the people were dying. And he turned to them and he told them that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. I, I always love the way that is put. We do feel sorrow, right? But it's not a sorrow without hope. We know that the grief that comes in the midst of pain is temporary because the Lord we follow defeated death through his resurrection, and he promised a life that will never be taken away. This is the hallelujah part that a couple of you were feeling right, right there. So there is a promise, there is a perspective, and there is a presence from the same farewell discourse, chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will come and be with you, be with you forever. Uh, read through John chapter 14. Jesus says something to them that I think if he said it to us, we think I must have misunderstood him. He actually turned to them and he says, it's really better for you that I go away. How could that be? It's better for you that I go away. 
Because unless I go away, I can't send you the presence of God in a way that I, now that I have taken on human flesh, could never, could never mitigate. I want to give you the Holy Spirit who will dwell with you so that here we are worshiping in Pasadena, all over the world, other followers of Jesus. It's a mystery, isn't it? Know the presence of God because of his Holy Spirit. Someone who never leaves us, somebody who never forsakes us. So one of the things that has given joy to Christians all over the world is an inner experience of God through his spirit. Have you ever experienced that? I'll tell you, that point alone is worthy of an entire sermon, but I don't have time to do it. But it's someday. Uh, I'll just have you read Romans 8, 17 through the end of the chapter. And there you'll, you'll say, hard times will come, the whole world is groaning, you'll groan sometimes, but you have the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. And even if you don't even know how to pray, he will pray for you in groaning so you might understand, not understand, but God does. Just read that through. Until he does, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Presence, we have a promise, we have perspective, we have presence, and we have a people. And John 13, I have to go. Jesus said, but where I am going, you cannot now come. So a new command I give to you, love one another as, as I have loved you. You must love one another. I'll tell you that. Uh, Jesus knows us. He knows that even though we have the presence of the Spirit of God within us, there come times when life is so hard it's almost crushing us. But sometimes it wonder, you wonder, is God even there? Have you ever been there? Sometimes what we need is the tangible touch of the love of God through his people. And that's why Jesus in his farewell discourse promised him the Holy Spirit who would never leave them and never leave us. But at the same time, says, I'll give you one another. But I'll give you a new command. You must, what must we do? Love one another. How must we love one another as Jesus has loved us? And he says, when that happens, we will experience his joy, no matter how tough this world is. So I'll tell you, I need you. When, when I walk through turbulent times, I need you, and I think you need me too. It's for sure we need one another because God uses us in our, one another's lives to bring us his joy. Now, I knew that today, in speaking about experiencing joy in the midst of trouble, there would surely be a few people here who are going through some of that trouble right now. Maybe you're one of those. So I've just imagined, I often do this, imagine you just kind of talking back to me and saying, well, that, always sound, that sounds like a bunch of preacher talk up there to me. <laughs> Is this real? this joy of Christ. Amen. You know what I did this week? Because I wanted to get some other voices into this sermon. I wrote to our uh, pastors, staff, and some of our ministry council and said, is this real? A joy that is there in the time of trouble. And I got all sorts of responses back. I'm just going to show you two of them. The first one comes from Chega Warku, who's the director of our counseling ministries. I thought his testimony would speak to so many of you who are far away from your families. And this is what he wrote. One of my struggles in life is being separated from my family and country of origin at the age of 19. It's had a pro profound effect on the stability and love that I experienced during my first two decades of life. 
The holidays are especially difficult since I can't be with my parents and my extended family. I used to overcome this painful experience by working extra hours and keeping myself busy. Don't we try to do that? And then he wrote this. My faith in Jesus was my hope as a young single immigrant that things will be better. As I reflect on this holiday season, I'm super grateful for my wife, two daughters, friends, and my Lake Avenue Church family, which God has blessed me with. Through them and with them, I find joy not in busyness, but through my faith. Because loneliness is a toxic poison that can rob our joy, but God has told us he will never leave us or forsake us. The second one came from one of our cellists this morning, from Alicia Steinhaus, who also directs our Lake Avenue Community Orchestra. This is what she wrote me. Today marks the six-year anniversary of my amputation. As you might imagine, it was by far the most difficult experience of my life to date. I was in the hospital twice that fall for a total of almost two months. By the time December rolled around, infection had taken hold of my body in a way I never dreamed possible. So back I went to the hospital. I felt so horrible. I felt for sure the end was near. Finally, the docs came in and, and told me I would most certainly be dead within a matter of days if they did not remove the foot. My response was immediate. Please remove it. But in the days after the surgery, my world was completely obscured with the unknown. I had no idea of what life would be like. It was Advent, usually my most happy time of the year. Yet here I was without any clear picture of my future in my new physical being. Then one day, a multitude of angels literally showed up in my room. They filled my room, all around my bed, completely took up every inch in the room and poured out into the hallway beyond. They started singing a cappella in four parts, Christmas carols. I laid there weeping, tears of joy, unmitigated joy in the midst of great struggle and uncertainty. I've written this so you can see it. <clears throat> that multitude of angels was a portion of our choir. There is no way for me to adequately describe the joy I felt. I knew, regardless of my physical state, I was part of a family, and regardless of the muck I may be in, they would always be my family. There were many friends that came and encouraged me, that sat with me during those days. It was God's love manifested in the actions of my family in Christ, they gave me the ability to claw my way back to existence and thrive once again. I am so grateful for that joy. And then to make sure I got it, it is very real. That's what Alicia wrote to me the other day. So Siri, Siri, why do we need the manger? We need it because we need joy to sustain us in this kind of world, amen? We, we need a joy that does not come and go just depending on our circumstances. We need a joy that goes deep down inside of our being and is not eradicated by trouble. And Jesus said, that's why I've come. 
I've come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I just tell you, just as Elizabeth and the child within her were filled with joy when they met that child who was within Mary, my prayer is this Christmas season, you may know, you may experience that eradicable, ineradicable kind of joy that comes through faith in the risen Jesus Christ. I pray you'll know it today and this week and until he returns. To his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, Father, I just pray for everyone here that we may find this message to be true. I pray for some who may never have come to faith in Jesus and are not yet alive to you. That just as Elizabeth met Jesus in that miraculous way, that they might in this place meet you now through faith in Jesus. I pray for the rest of us who have walked with you such a long time as Elizabeth had, and yet sometimes are just so assaulted by the difficulties in this world that today we might experience a little bit of what Jesus talked about, his joy, the joy of Jesus experienced just before he even went to a cross. May we find it through those promises, through the perspective Jesus gives us, through the presence of your spirit, and through the love of your people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.